You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 10, episode 11. Josh Nadeau is a printmaker, writer, and clothing designer living in Western Canada. His Instagram account, Sword and Pencil, features a library of images and musings about goodness, truth, and beauty. His work, both in word and in image, aims to offer solutions to disenchantment and acts as an antidote to Christian culture's rampant mediocrity. In this episode, Josh and I discuss the role of suffering in spiritual and creative development, the winding path to meaning, and the need to cultivate virtue in our everyday lives. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment with Josh on learning to wait well and the temptation of idolatry. This is The Winding Path to Meaning with Josh Nadeau. Josh, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast, my friend. Dude, it is my honor and pleasure. I first learned of your work through the writing you did with Ecstasis Magazine. Mm-hmm. Those guys are the best. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you read that. That was a pretty crazy essay. Yeah, about theology and the grit. Is that what it was? Yeah, theology and the grit. Something about how the only way to know what we believe is to live it out. Mm. Come on with that. That reminds me of that Rilke quote that we've been passing around here lately. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but he talks about living the questions, you know, oh, yeah. being okay with existing in that unresolved space. And, and maybe one day we will live ourselves into the answers. I love that. It's the only way, man. I think that like one of the things we sell ourselves short on is thinking that if we just know the theological answers that will change our life. And then all it takes is, and it's always suffering. It just takes a little bit of suffering to topple over that house of cards. And if you can't live out the truth and go all the way down deep through all the mess of suffering, you'll never come out the other side with hope and love and peace at your core. Mm -hmm. And so Theology and the Grit, it was just an essay about, listen, if you cut out the mechanisms to avoid all suffering, you're also going to cut out that same mechanism that leads you to joy, that leads you to fullness. And it's only the people who are honest and vulnerable and authentic with life that get to that point. And so that's the only way to live. You just got to live in the most authentic way possible. Yes. So is that a bit about your own story then? Is that an aspiration of how you live your own life? Tell me some about how you arrived there. Yeah. So those things I think for me have come in waves. I initially had some of those thoughts just from like a philosophical standpoint. When I was in university, trying to discern where I landed spiritually, religiously, I grew up in a Christian home, Christian church, catechized. Like we did Grudem systematic theology for like family devotions, Burkhoff systematic theology. It was an intense time growing up. Wow. You were full on. Oh yeah, man. Like by the time I was like 12 years old, I was telling my wife the other day, I I was that I could have been if I didn't try to be so cool, that annoying kid in Sunday school who literally knew everything. (laughs) And so like, I was just reading a ton of stuff. And one thing that resonated with me, I was reading some stuff from Eastern religions was just like, suffering is the most real thing we experience. There's no arguing with it. 
And I started parsing out, okay, like how do we deal with suffering? Some people want to cut it out entirely. What happens if you cut it out? Some people like the East, like say you're a Buddhist, you want to take desire down so low that nothing bothers you. And I was like, both of those just are the worst answers I can imagine. So what does Christianity have to offer? And Christianity's answer is something like Jesus weeps with us when we weep, right? He's this embodied answer to suffering. And even though we experience the death by a thousand cuts, we also experience infinite joy. And so he redeems the suffering, but then you also get the joy that comes with it. And so that was like the first level, just philosophical. And then God in his mercy and kindness has led me through tons of suffering in my own life. Most recently, just this summer, I was knocking on death's door three times over the summer. And so it was, C.S. Lewis has this quote where he's like, everyone, you can talk about how nice a rope is. You can hold it, talk about its tensile strength, how it's been made. And you can say, hey, this is a good rope when you're tying it up around a gift. But when you have to use that same rope to hang off the edge of a cliff, you better know what you believe. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, God helped us hang off the edge of a cliff and climb back up. And so, yeah, it's a story. And so for me, there's like a counterfeit way to get through suffering that I think would have ruined me, my faith, my wife, my community. And then there's been this authentic way that was, it was a veil of tears. And then in the end, it was just, we're, we, um, what's that psalm? Those who sow with tears reap with shouts of laughter. And so we're just like laughing now. Do you feel comfortable elaborating some on what you went through? Yeah, I don't mind at all. So July 24th at like 7 p.m., this is like a very lucid memory. Um, my wife and I were hanging out and I just started coughing up blood. And so I coughed up about 600 milliliters that night, got rushed to emerge And then over the next few days, I was like, there's just tubes in my throat. And then over that week, I had another episode, coughed up another 800 milliliters of blood. It was all coming from my lungs. And then I had one more episode where I coughed up about five or 600 again. And there's like little spit ups of like 100 in between. So over a week, I coughed up about two liters of blood, almost half the blood of my body, and uh, just came out of nowhere. And so, like, the doctors don't really know what it was. At its base level, it was a kind of an aneurysm, three massive, it's a homoptosis is what it's called. And it just, like, threw our world upside down. Like, I'm a super healthy dude, work out a bunch of times a week, eat super healthy, and that just, like, turned our world upside down. We went through the valley of the shadow of death, and we just had people with us. God, Jesus remained ever steadfast. There are moments, man, I was driving home from the gym this morning and the vision was the exact same road that my wife drove when we, she rushed me to the hospital. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, hey, this is two and a half months later. Like, God, you got us through again, which is just a miracle. And so that was, I mean, without getting super deep into like the darkness and terror of that. Sure. That was just another experience where somehow God and his faithfulness I mean, it didn't change how hard it was and how scary it was and the tears that we cried and like, but God, Jesus being present with us is this redemptive act that revolutionizes how I view my life, how I view suffering, because 
a savior who suffers with me is a very different answer than, hey, Josh, like, let's reduce your love of your wife to zero. And then suffering won't bother you. <laughs> or let's pretend this doesn't hurt. Maybe like, well, it's very hard to pretend it doesn't hurt when you're coughing up half the juice that's in your body. And so like, I just, yeah, that was an embodied realization of, hey, this is the Christianity I believe. And it got me through the darkest things I can imagine. It seems that your faith and your theology is more than a philosophy, more than an idea, but it's an embodied way of life for you. And it seems that it's also something that informs the art that you make, the prints that you design and everything you do. So totally, has that always been the case? Has your artistry and your faith always been one and the same in your life? No, both of the things were like a, a learning experience. And so I think like most things in life, we find something that we desire to do, like we latch on to it. And then if we're diligent enough to stay faithful, we often have to cultivate calling and passion and what this actually is. And so I tell this to people all the time, if you fall in love with like art in general and none of it is Christian, just be okay. Because beauty will take you back to the source. So when I was growing up, I just fell in love with literature fell in love with poetry, fell in love with all art. And I would write stories, I would draw pictures, and just none of them were Christian at one level. And then at this deeper level that I couldn't articulate, it was the most Christian stuff imaginable, right? I was falling in love with language. And then it led me back to like, hey, here's the source of all literature. Treat the Bible not as like this mystical book of catchphrases, but as like meditation literature. I was falling in love with poetry and artists and I was doing my own stuff. So that's like, that was a cultivated thing. And then separate from that, like I said, I grew up in this very intellectual space where who you were was what you thought. And that just started falling apart for me when I recognized, hey, tons of us think the right things and we're all living a bit like jackasses. <laughs> and something's got to give, right? Like going through like high school and university, be like, hey, you should be good and moral and virtuous. And here we were doing horrible things to each other, saying horrible things, participating in horrible things. I said to myself, this way of life is not working. I'm more than what I think. I am what I do. And I am who I am, to quote the creator of the universe. And so to process that became... If I am what I do, that has to find a source. Everything I do is an expression of who I am from like an ontological being perspective. And so then I had to process who does God say I am? And then how do I participate in those realities in a tangible embodied perspective? So I can say, hey, it's really good to do your devotions. And if I never do them, it doesn't matter. So if I'm not participating in spiritual rhythms, it doesn't matter how much I know it's good. I got to do it because that's who I really am. And then the intersection of art and that embodied thing for me became this expression where I love the academy and I love philosophy. Like I just went on a riff on why total depravity doesn't make philosophical sense. I could just at the drop of a hat get super intellectual. But what always matters to me is a Tuesday morning single mom who listens to something I say or reads something I write or looks at the art that I'm doing and says, this matters to how I actually live my life. 
This changes the embodied reality of what I participate in, what I find myself drawn to. And so once those things intersected, then it became uh, just a time of cultivating and unfolding what that began to look like in a space. And that's just been a joy and a journey. That's beautiful. So many things you said stand out to me. I love what you said earlier that beauty will take you back to the source. And I love as well, you said, you know, you were creating this art that wasn't necessarily Christian in nature, but yet at the same time, it inherently was carrying the reality of the Christian truth. Yeah. You know, that's something that is at the core of the makers and mystics ethos is that all art is inherently spiritual. Yeah. And all healthy spirituality will be expressed through the creative. And there's just this intersection there that sometimes meaning comes later, or sometimes the understanding comes later, and sometimes we're in the flow and don't even realize we're in the flow until later our minds catch up with where our spirit was leading. Yes, bro. And so I define myself less as a true artist because I have a I have a very narrow definition of a true artist. And what you just said is the most artist thing. Every artist I know says the same thing. I think of art primarily as prophetic. There's a thing going on in your soul where your soul is so deep, if you're an artist, where you're so deeply connected to the creator and his impulse that you begin articulating through your medium the secrets that are like unutterable. And then someone like me comes around who's primarily like a writer, philosopher. And I love art. Like I draw all day, every day. And I come around and be like, hey, what you did there has meaning. Like, do you understand? Like my wife is a true artist. If she doesn't paint, she dies. I'll be like, hey, why did you use that color there? Why did you do this? Why did you put this contrast? And she'll say, I don't know. I felt it. And I'll be like, well, it reminds me of this idea. And like, I think there's this beautiful thing about an artist's community where an artist, like you said, meaning tends to come later because when you start plumbing the depths of the infiniteness, infinity of God's beauty, lots of it can't be articulated by one person. You need a community to start drawing meaning out. And then what happens is someone writes about it and they're like, well, you have another person who responds and says, what if it's this? And what if it's this? And as a community we start drawing out these aspects of God's beauty that you as a musician or someone who's a poet or someone who's an art, like a painter, they're just deeply connected to the source and doing, like you said, that great spiritual work of taking the mysteries of God and putting them into a thing that humans can consume and be overwhelmed by and then get mesmerized by. And so I love that, man. That is the most, I love it when I get to talk to a true artist because you just say the most real things that very few people feel to the same capacity. And that is such a rare gift. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm really interested in the winding path of arriving at meaning. And I love the phrase you used earlier where you talked about the embodied reality. You mm-hmm. know, you want these things to, to flesh themselves out with the single mother on the Tuesday morning, I think was what you said, mm-hmm. you know, but there's this winding path that allows us to get there intuitively that we don't have to pressure our art. We don't have to put pressure on our work to clinch the deal, so to speak. 
speak. We don't we don't have to clamp it down. Sometimes the story will tell itself if we act as the artist, as the creators of our work. Mm-hmm. If we take the position of a servant, if we take the position of humility, if we allow the art to to live and breathe and and have its being and come into shape you know, as we steward it, as we nurture it. And so I'm curious if you experience some of that in your own creative journey. Totally. I think that the two things to me that have become very foundational with what you're saying are knowing who we are and knowing our lane. And that sounds very unspiritual. So I could, you know, jazz it up with a bit more Jesus speak, but I think there's something (laughs) so profound about just saying like we're stewarding a gift. And I know as an artist, someone who writes and draws, comparison is a thief, right? Yes. Expectation, these false spiritual expectations of, hey, I have to be like this hero I have. Dude, when I was, I had like, I have these depressive episodes that come. And at the darkest point of one, a trigger would be something as small as listening to Bob Dylan and just being like, I'll never write a poem this good. And I'm just off in the abyss, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and so there's these comparative things. Like you said, God has given us a gift. That's knowing who we are. He's given us a voice. And then he's given us good work to do. And as artists to be like, well, I know my lane. And if I'm faithful with the talents God has given me, they'll multiply. But if out of fear of failure, out of comparison, out of false expectations, I bury those talents I am robbing the world of levels of beauty that they won't get to experience. So good. Yeah, the revolution is something like, I know who I am, who Jesus has made me to be, and I know what Jesus has called me to do, and that has to be enough. Yes. Because if it isn't, then we have to start asking, why isn't it? Do I need the praise of men to succeed as an artist? You know what I mean? Do I need Mm -hmm. to? And then all sorts of those dark things that we can start to embody our theology around. Who am I really? they pop up. But for artists who ride that knife edge of like identity and tasting the dark, like swimming in the dark, deep waters, while also bathing in the sun of God's delight, who ride that edge, knowing who we are and what we're called to is a hard path. Yes. Right. That's why I define the creative artistic thing so narrowly, because some people, most people don't have the impulse that says, if I don't create, I die. Now they need to consume beauty or else they die, but not everyone's the same. And that's one of the beautiful things about life to me. I want to lean into what you talked about a few minutes ago about that dark night of the soul place, about that depressive experience, because I think many artists, myself included, you know, we've we've had those seasons of our lives where everything is, is viewed through a lens of grays. Mm-hmm. I think how we handle the narratives that run through our minds is vital and one of the threads that we're talking about this season as we're talking about restoration for the heart of the artist is restoring the narratives we believe you know and I, I don't know the exact data on this but you've heard you know people say that there's always a narrative running through our minds constantly and many times they're negative just what the, the, the narratives are negative yeah but I've come to a place in my life where 
I don't believe every thought that goes through my mind in first person. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just because a thought goes through my mind in first person does not mean that that is my reality or that that is my truth. And so I'm curious for you, when you experience this dark night of the soul, so to speak, or these depressive bouts, what are some habits or some of your spiritual practices that maybe help you get out of that spot or at least find meaning through the suffering of that spot? Yeah, and I think that's the key. I think um, I never want to shortchange my reality. And so there's something where it's like, I had this horrible experience over the past few months and there's no shortchanging it, right? I just had nightmares for the first week and there's no pretending that I don't have the nightmares, but I needed to find a way that allowed me to press into the goodness, truth, and beauty of my life rather than check out, mm-hmm. right? So there's a way of looking at life when something horrible happens and we end up in those dark spaces that says, life is like, quote Psalm 88, life is darkness, darkness is my only ally, end of the story. <laughs> that makes us want to say, well, it's not worth investing in friends, relationships, my people, my life, my craft we just check out. And so I never want that to be my story. And the thing for me that has revolutionized me, and it doesn't mean that I go through it any faster, it's just the story I tell myself, comes from the old myths, right? It comes from the old heroes who, when they face the dragon, instead of calling quits, they pursue the beauty on the other side and they fight, and I mean this literally, they fight hell, they fight like hell to get through so they can experience joy. And so when I face my depressive episodes or my burnout or like what I just went through, I say to myself, I gotta be the man that God has called me to be. I have to have good courage. So no matter what happens, right? Like if I leave, when I leave this earth, I want to make sure that the legacy I leave is one of love. Uh And you can embody love even in the darkest places. So that's like my mindset. That's a story I tell myself, and it's a mythological one because I just resonate with literature. My spiritual practices are community. When it's depression, for me, it's community. There's no amount of prayer I'm going to do that's going to get me out. But when people are around and they're praying for me and their shoulders to cry on and, and their bodies to lean on, dang, man, that's the tangible expression of Jesus's body in a way that Many hands make light work and carrying a heavy burden, you just need other hands to carry that that load. You know, we don't talk about this a lot on Makers and Mystics, and so I'm going to take the opportunity to go there now. Let's do it. Yeah, you know, but it's true. We cannot forget and we cannot lose sight of the fact that we really are in a fight for our lives most days, Mm. or really in a fight for the health of our own souls. And, you know, however you want to talk about that, you know, whatever language you want to put on that, Mm -hmm. that's a different conversation. But especially on the heels of what we've come out of on the past few years, even globally, there is a fight for health and there is a fight for the restoration of the heart of the artist and having good community around us and, and being able to have other people pray for us and engage in some of these practices practices that maybe at one time uh, we took for granted, I know at least in my own life, because I went through my own breakdown and I went through my own crisis over the past couple of years and and had to find my own way out of that dark night. Mm -hmm. And community and prayer and people that believe in our 
true person. Yes. That's really where the fight can take a turn, you know, for the good. Oh, totally. And I think one of the things that the past couple of years has revealed to me is how quick the artist, but people in general, not to throw shade, <laughs> were ready to settle for something less than true virtue. Yes. Right? So there's tons of political, social, whatever stuff that's going on. There's this polarized view of reality. And people have just cared way more about their politics, their views on health, their views on whatever than they have, like charity, fidelity, courage. And so I think one of the things that's been exposed in my life, and then I feel like this is a cultural moment, is we're settling for external realities rather than deep core stuff. So rather than pursue virtue and fight vice, mm. we start telling people, hey, you're a bad person if you don't drive an electric car. And maybe you're, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. I don't know. But we don't really tend to worry about someone being charitable or not. That's so good, my friend. In many ways, we are quick to point out the external evils, but are we willing to look at the darkness in our own hearts? And totally, just to be vulnerable with myself in this conversation, you know, even in seasons past, I spent so much time crafting my art and building my platform and building these things that on the outside, they seemed so important. And on some level they were, but I lost sight of treating my own interior world as the eternal work of art that it is. Mm. And so, you know, in my own life, I had to take a step back and say, you know, the externals are only as good as the internal foundation that they're built upon. Let's go. And I think that's something that we miss. You know, we're, we're looking at a lot of external evils that I'm not saying aren't important or shouldn't be addressed, but we've also got to take a look at ourselves. And, and I only say that as someone who's willing to do that, you know? Totally. And I think that realization for me has become something like, okay, pretend I build a community on these external manifestations, on controversy, on whatever. Where does that lead in five years? It, it always leads to like a superficial sensationalism around everything, because you have to. But if you build a community around everybody dealing with virtue and vice, mm -hmm. and it starts, like you said, with me, that's what God started working on me for. I'm fortunate with social media stuff where I'm very disinterested in things like this. But in my own personal life, there's just things God is drawing out of me where he's like, Josh, you want to build a community of love, but like, where's your unconditional love at? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of bitterness and resentment and anger that just flies off the handle. So before you're going out and talking about this, let's start on the heart work. Mm -hmm. And that's where most of my art comes from, is like this deep stuff of I'm doing the deepest heart work I can. And I just told myself, hey, I'll be honest with it because most people aren't. So I'll put it out there and be like, hey, this sucks. It sucks fighting anger. Because it yeah. feels so good to lose your mind at someone. <laughs> but then where does that lead you, right? Yeah, right. That, that uncreates you. That destroys the work of art, like you just said, that God has created you to be. Yes, yes. And that's what I'm starting to, to meditate on more and more these days, is that our character and the, and the virtue that I hope to embody in my own life, yeah. that is the eternal work of art. That when my days are finished, you know, what, what is this legacy that I'm leaving behind? And so, you know, I know that uh, 
our mistakes and those things don't have to be the legacy. They're the building blocks and our failures can actually be our best friends if we let them train us and, and, and lead us forward. Let's go. Josh, thank you so much, man, for joining me on Makers and Mystics today. This has been a thoroughly rich conversation and I hope it is not the last one we have together. Dude, this was amazing. Love you, love what you guys are up to. And uh, I got to catch up on my podcast now. I mean, I got, I'm feeling it. I got goosebumps, but this is so great. Deep resonance. And thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach, with music provided by Sean Williams. If you've been inspired by this podcast and want to help us continue the work of championing conversations on art, faith, and culture, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com makersandmystics. You can also leave us a kind review on iTunes and give us a follow on Instagram at makersandmystics. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. <laughs>